and uh, welcome. It's good to have you tonight. Are you guys ready to finish up the book of Jonah? It's kind of strange going through these little uh, tiny minor prophets. Uh, some of the books of the Bible took us over a year uh, to get through. But uh, Jonah's like a week and a half for us, uh, which is, is great. Uh, I like to remind people these uh, minor prophets are not minor in the, the content, uh, but they're packed, powerful, uh, you know, little um, uh, messages of, of real, uh, real good truth that we need to uh, embrace. So uh, we uh, looked at chapter one uh, last Wednesday, or at least most of it. And then on Sunday, we took the last verse of Jonah uh, chapter one and all of Jonah chapter two. Um, and just, if you're just joining us, so just a quick recap. Uh, don't forget, we've got, you know, uh, the, basically the call that God gave to Jonah and he rebelled against uh, God. God said, go, Jonah said, no. And we saw that last week where he was told to go to Nineveh, that, that scary city. We, we can't lose uh, you know, sight of the fact that Nineveh was known to be extremely violent um, and uh, godless and wicked. And God says, I see the wickedness of Nineveh, so I need, I need to send you there, Jonah. And Jonah says, I'm not going to Nineveh. So he went the opposite direction. 2,500 miles in the opposite direction was his goal. Um, but as it turns out, uh, the Lord uh, prepared a big fish to swallow him up um, and took him back the direction he was supposed to be going. And we ended really last, last Sunday, really, um, where Jonah was barfed back up on the beach. Um, now, we don't really know exactly what happened between chapters uh, two and three. Like, was it right after the barfing that we come to chapter you know, three? Or um, was there a little bit of time? And, and, um, and I'll let you kind of be the judge as we read this, but it's, it seems almost like we get a total reset about everything. One of the things I'm really thankful for God uh, in his nature is the heart to let us have a reset. Um, and he forgives us for our you know, stubbornness and our sinfulness. Um, remember when Peter denied Jesus three times and the rooster crowed? I love that Jesus gave Peter three times to say, you know, I love you, Lord, remember that? I don't think Jesus was just rubbing it in. I think Jesus was giving Peter a chance for every time he denied him, he gave him a chance to declare his love for him. And this is the God we serve who loves us and gives us the second chance and the third chance and the 80th chance. Um, I'm just so thankful for our patient Lord. Um, and Jonah's gonna see the patience of the Lord. And um, you and I might even lose patience with Jonah tonight um, when we watch this guy, he's frustrating. But the Lord just patiently hangs in there with Jonah in his uh, weirdness and his insecurities. And you're gonna be shocked. If you haven't really read the book of Jonah, most people you know, colored the picture in Sunday school of the little man inside the big fish. Uh, but we didn't really see the whole story, a lot of us. Uh, and it's kind of a strange story. So we pick it up, you know, after Jonah gets barfed out of the big fish, uh, now he's somewhere. Um, we don't even know what beach Jonah was barfed on. Was it somewhere near Caesarea or Joppa or was it uh, somewhere a long ways away? We don't really know. But this is where we pick it up here in chapter three uh, of Jonah. It says in verse one, chapter three, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. 
Um, we see here, um, you know, Jonah uh, is called by the Lord a second time. Don't you sense the patience of the Lord in this? Okay, now Jonah, listen. I want you to go to Nineveh. He could have said, okay, go do what you already knew you're supposed to do the last time I told you what to do. He didn't do that. He says, he just kind of goes through almost like the same of verse two of chapter one. Now we have the same verse, cha uh, chapter three, verse two, rise, go to, to Nineveh, go to that city, you know. Um, and by the way, I want you to note that God calls Nineveh a great city. Isn't that interesting? Uh, and he calls it twice. You know, we see it right here in uh, chapter one, verse two, and chapter three, verse two. Go to that great city and preach unto it the preaching that I, I, I bid thee. So, um, so interesting, you know, this is just Jonah learning to be matured in the things of the Lord. He, he had to go through quite a thing to learn maturity, to be swallowed by big fish, travel in a ship and be thrown overboard. Like that's a pretty dramatic, I mean, I mean, we could see some PTSD if we're not careful here. I mean, Jonah's had to do some serious stuff but this is all God's plan to mature. Joan, aren't you glad the Lord matures us? Um, that's what oftentimes the trials that we go through are meant to mature you. Um, that's why, you know, Paul says, I rejoice in tribulation. Why? Because tribulation, tribulation builds hope, patience, and experience. Um, it's a maturing work that God wants to do. And uh, I'm thankful that God does that. I I'm thankful that maturity is something that happens to most people, most people. I mean, think about it. I love, when you, have you ever noticed like a baby that's like, you know, nine months old? Uh, you know, no matter where you are, if that baby's not happy, it lets you and everybody in the whole room and restaurant know it. You know, that baby just starts, Wah! and remember when you're, you're a new parent of your first child, and you take your baby to the first time at a restaurant, and you're like, our baby's amazing and an angel. Um, but it's funny how the demons come out at the restaurants. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, where they, where they start screaming their heads off and, and, and everybody's looking at you with disgust, especially in Portland. You can bring your dog in the restaurant, but don't, don't bring your baby into a restaurant in Portland. Uh, uh, but, but anyway, you know, there's this, uh, you know, this thing where, you know, you know, a baby, you get it all ready and spiffy and get it all cleaned up. And then you fancy little dress just before you're leaving for church. And all of a sudden, uh-oh, not the diaper, you know. Baby just does that right there. There's, there's no uh, thinking, I probably better wait. Nope. A baby is not mature in those things. Can you imagine if we had adults never learned those, just those two things? Here we are in church, you know, and you're kind of unhappy at something I say. Like, wouldn't that be, that'd be a little embarrassing if you're an adult up here just screaming your head off. We're like, oh man, where's the deacons, you know, or security maybe. Um, uh, but, but, you know, the, the adult crying under control, you know, there you are in that, you know, big, you know, board meeting around the fancy table. And when somebody says something you don't like, you know, you, you, you cry and, and then you poop your diapers as well. I mean, just um, <laughs> people are like, whoa. Anyway, that, man, I'm, I'm so thankful that you and I, we tend to mature. Now, um, by the way, have you ever noticed some parents don't help their children mature in this thing of the crying thing? Uh, now sometimes I see some awkward mothers going, yeah, I'm talking to you. <laughs> now, if you're a mom who just doesn't ever want to see your child learn to cry and stuff like that, and, and your husband's saying, honey, we should probably just not just listen to the husband. Um, the Lord's wired us differently. Mom's got nurturing and compassion. Those are very important things, of course. But there's also this thing where we want our children to mature out of that little crying mode. And you know what I've noticed? There's, there's some adults that they may not scream their heads off, but they still have this thing where I think it was maybe something that was never quite fully learned when they were tiny. 
learning to deal with difficulty or tough it out through difficult times. And I think sometimes we as parents come to rescue maybe just a little too early at times. And, and, and spiritually, people need to be matured and grow. And so the Lord allows us to go through difficult times uh, at times. And sometimes the Lord is the one who sends the difficulty. Um, what are the two things, quiz time, that God has already sent and prepared in the story? Give me one. The storm is number one, and then of course, the fish. God, God sent those, the Bible says that. It doesn't say there was a fish. No, God prepared a fish. God sent the storm. Um, and why did he do that? He's growing uh, you know, this, uh, this guy Jonah to become hopefully more mature. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, but as, as it turns out, the, you know, that's the challenge. So verse three, Jonah rose and went to Nineveh. Now that's maturity, we're seeing growth in Jonah's life. Last time he said no and he ran. This time he goes to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. I love that. Now, let's talk about that great city, Nineveh. It's an interesting city. We, we've, we've talked about the Ninevites and how they were a bloodthirsty, scary people. We talked about that last Wednesday. But we really didn't talk about the archeology. span Did you know that before 1847, um, so-called scholars, declared, you know, all the skeptics, you know, um, uh, they were even back before 1847, they were saying, there's no place called Nineveh. Um, that's just a Bible invention and blah, blah, blah. And, and man, I'll tell you, uh, archeological people, it, it, they need to just go with the Bible because uh, every single time they're proven wrong. This one, they were proved wrong back in 1847 um, when they dug up the, the giant city of Nineveh and its greater Nineveh metro area. Um, and it's kind of an interesting thing. They, they, there were the huge walls and the perimeter of the main city of Nineveh was all dug up and found, uh, interestingly enough. But what's kind of sad, I've got some good news and some bad news. The bad news first, did you know the, the ISIS war? The ISIS people went and totally blew up uh, huge regions of, of uh, Nineveh. Um, the ISIS, if, if you follow what's, what's happened in the Middle East there, one of the things ISIS loves to do is destroy anything historical that has, that's not linked to Islam. Um, if it's even linked to um, the wrong kind of Islam, but you can bet if it's a biblical Jewish uh, history from the Hebrew Bible, like the book of Jonah, um, do you think the ISIS guys are gonna let that stand? No, um, interesting in a Heretz article, from Nineveh to Jonah's tomb, ISIS war on history. Um, now, by the way, if you're wondering where Nineveh is on the map, just a quick kind of point of reference, that fertile crescent there, the green area, it's up at the northern region of that. And um, really what, was what is modern day Mosul. Um, some of you might even have been to Mosul if you're in our military or armed services. Um, I, I, I know some people that have been to, to Mosul and there was some real battle going on there. But all that to say, um, the ancient city, they found these walls that um, it's the greater, it was kind of the fortified area of the city. Um, and some people say, well, that's, that's kind of a small little city. If you look at the, you know, the, the, the one kilometer mark there on that, it's a small little town. Well, you gotta remember Bible cities were small, but Nineveh was not small. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. Um, but Islamic State uh, rampaged through the whole region, deliberately destroying anything un-Islamic. Un the biblical Jonah was believed to have been buried in Mosul, as it turns out, Iraq, which um, has been part of the ancient city of Nineveh, um, which is interesting. So um, the, over the eons of time, 
uh, because they thought Jonah was there. Just like in Jerusalem and Israel, they always build temples over stuff that they think were holy. So they converted the, this ancient city part where Jonah was buried and they built big churches, Christian churches. And then in the 14th century, they um, turned it into a large Sunni mosque um, which uh, remained dedicated to uh, Nabi Yunus, the prophet Jonah in Arabic. Um, so it was a place whose uh, sanctity was honored by believers in the, the, the great religions, as they call it in the Heretz uh, article. Um, and it was all there, and there was even a big library that was there to show the ancient history and kind of documented the whole history of Jonah and the region and the Ninevites and all that stuff until ISIS des destroyed the whole thing, the tomb and the library and the whole region back in July uh, of 2014. Um, and reportedly it only took ISIS one hour with their explosives that blew away the monument uh, whose roots go back thousands of years. Um, the, the ruins of this ancient city that they had were about uh, the 12 kilometers in circumference. And, um, and, um, and all that to say, um, you know, just ISIS has destroyed many cities in that whole region in much of the Middle East. They've destroyed with their explosives and what have you. Um, that's the bad news. Uh, if you wanna go see that today, there's two reasons why you probably shouldn't. One, ISIS. Two, um, uh, there's nothing to see anymore. They blew it all up. Except for one thing. If, if you look at, uh, there's an article that came out recently. By the way, this is a artist rendition of the beautiful and great city of Nineveh. This, this is um, using historical uh, descriptions of what the city looked like. This is, this is an artist rendition. So it was a, apparently a beautiful city uh, and what have you. Um, but um, as it turns out, these, uh, these walls that they found, this was before they were kind of blown up um, and what have you. But then there's another article that you could uh, look at if you want, Christian Today, ISIS destruction of Jonah's tomb leads to discovery of biblical king's ancient palace. This, this is great to me. Uh, they're trying to destroy history, actually confirms history. One of the things that's largely lacking, by the way, in history is the message of, uh, remember how we call him Sennacherib in the Bible? Um, it's really more like Sanharid is the way you say his name. Um, but this ancient king, um, when, they, um, when they blew up that part of the city um, the, and, and blew up Jonah's tomb, guess what? Underneath the tomb of Jonah was another strata of history and they found all kinds of records about Sanharid, which is just more proving uh, the Bible and what have you. So kind of a cool, kind of a cool thing. Um, all that to say, breaking Israel news reported all about that. Um, so when the Bible calls it um, an exceeding great city, uh, by the way, this is the picture of Jonah's tomb after they blew it up. Um, this, that's what was left in this area. But right under all that rubble, <laughs> they found uh, that amazing that amazing city. Well, anyway, all that to say, when the Bible calls um, Nineveh an exceeding great city, it, it was with so many and for so many reasons. Um, uh, by the way, so when it says exceeding great, some people say, well, Brett, that's supposed to be size. And if it was only 12 kilometers in circumference around the ancient city, that's no big deal. True. I mean, but in Bible times, that's still a huge city in Bible times, generally speaking. But most scholars <clears throat> believe that Nineveh, there were really three walled cities. There was Nineveh proper, uh, Kala, and Korzavad. Uh, Nineveh became the capital of, this, of these three major areas. It might be a little bit like, you know, you might say Tigard, Beaverton, Portland, uh, as they were kind of adjacent to each other. <clears throat> and there were the walled areas for fortification, but the city kind of ran together outside of those walls. 
When there was a, uh, an, an enemy attack, everybody go within the walls, but much of the city lived outside of the walls. It was a huge area. And when the Bible talks about Jonah going to Nineveh, it's probably referring to this whole greater Nineveh area. Um, it's quite interesting when you, when you go back to even the book of Genesis, let me give you a little scripture here you can jot down in your notes. Genesis 10, <clears throat> verses 11 and 12. Out of that land went forth Asher and builded Nineveh and the city Rehoboth and Kelah and Reason between Nineveh and Kelah, the same is a great city. So even way back in Genesis and the table of nations in Genesis 10, Nineveh was called a great city. It's interesting that all throughout the Bible, Nineveh is constantly called a great city, but it was never great because of its integrity or morality or godliness. It was always great in the sense of size and also perhaps uh, technology and beauty. Um, and so the Bible constantly calls it that. Uh, isn't it interesting that all the way through the word of God, the greatness of the city is emphasized um, and uh, that's, that's probably what it's defining. Now, there is an interesting um, uh, ancient writer. He was a Greek physician and historian um, named Tesius, uh, spelled C-T-E-S-I-A-S, if you wanna look this up, uh, Tesius. Um, he describes Nineveh as a city whose circuit was uh, 480 stadia, which was a measurement of their time, which would mean that the circumference of the greater Nineveh area was over 27 miles if you kind of went around the perimeter. So it was a huge, huge city with hundreds of thousands of people living there. Um, and the reason why I mention all this is not just uh, for our health, but it actually goes on in, in verse three. It says, so Je Jonah rose, went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days journey. And you say, okay, so Jonah barfed out and then it took him three days. Well, there's no place really Jonah could have been barfed out from the sea and have a three days journey um, uh, unless he had a, you know, an airplane or a car uh, or something like that. And even a chariot, it'd be tough to make that journey in three days. But, um, but all that to say, uh, most scholars believe that what Jonah did was a three days journey around the circumference of the city of Nineveh. Um, and there's some evidence uh, of that uh, in other places and, and when you read the original text. So uh, a lot of scholars believe he was doing the circumference of Nineveh, three days walk, which would be more like the 27 miles that we just talked about. So, so jo Jonah obeys God, he goes to this great, beautiful city that's full of a bunch of wicked, violent, horrible people. Um, that's, that's the situation. Well, verse four, it says, and Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. So he, he walked a whole day's journey into the center of the city. Um, and um, he cried and said, now here's his whole message, his whole sermon. Uh, some of you are like, Brett, you should make your sermons this short. He said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Uh, interesting cry from uh, Jonah, just a short message. Um, it's sort of a fire and brimstone sermon. You know, you got 40 days and you're all toast is basically what he's saying. Um, interesting that the Lord, I, before we get to that, the actual message itself, you know, I love that Jonah's finally doing what God called him to do. Um, and one thing I wanna point out is I believe God cares just as much about Jonah as he does care about the Ninevites. Don't forget that. God's using Jonah to be the voice to speak the word of God to the Ninevites, but he also cares about Jonah. And we'll see that as we get further into this. Um, I wonder if Jonah kind of felt like, thanks a lot, Lord, for making me the victim 
You know, I'm the one who has to go to this city that's probably gonna chop my head off and put my skull on top of all the other skulls outside of their cities and stuff like that. Um, you know, like uh, maybe they'll put skin me alive and fly my skin as a flag like they did all those other people. Remember we talked about all that horrible stuff? Jonah could have been, you know, thinking, what is, what is, the, what is the Lord trying to do with me here? But I, I, I love that the Lord has a plan and a purpose for his people and even Jonah. Um, I'm reminded of Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. Um, then shall you call upon me and you shall go and pray to me and I will hearken unto you and you shall seek me and find me and you shall search, uh, when you shall search for me with all of your heart. Um, a lot of people love to quote the first part of this. I know the thoughts I think toward you, say the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope as one of the translations says, or as a, or an expected end. But there's also another thing that we are supposed to do there, call upon the Lord, pray, seek, uh, find, and then the Lord says, when you search for me with all your heart, you'll find me. Um, this is what the Lord wants from us, but he has thoughts of peace and not of evil for Jonah. And I think he also has thoughts of peace and not of evil for you. You might feel like, why does the Lord have me in this situation? Why am I have, having the job that I have now or the, or the boss that I have? Or why do I have to live where I live or do what I do? But you know what? The Lord, he's got a, a plan for you. Thoughts of peace, not of evil. Um, you know, some of you, when you were kids, your parents wouldn't let you do stuff. Um, and they, they made things harder on you from your perspective. But then you get older and you realize, oh man, my, care, my, my parents cared enough for me to not do those things or not allow me to go those places. And a lot of you, as, as, uh, you know, as you grew out of that immaturity, you realize, man, mom and dad actually were thoughtful and caring. Um, I remember watching this, not as much, you know, it's harder to see sometimes on yourself, but I watched this with my parents and my sisters, especially when it came to my sisters getting to that age where they started to, you know, date young men. Uh, I remember this, like, it was hilarious because my, my sister's just a little older than I was. It was always a blessing for me because, um, like, when I got to high school, a lot of freshmen, young boys, uh, you know, they all, they all, everybody hassles the new freshmen, Right. When I got to high school, all the seniors and juniors said, hey, Brett, whatever you need, you just let me know. Why? Because I had these beautiful sisters, you know what I mean? And these guys are like, yeah, you're, Brett, you're my bro. And I'm like, wow, this really worked out nicely for me. <laughs> but what's funny is um, about that was uh, um, I, I would watch boys come and see, my dad's very old fashioned. Uh, when, when a guy wanted to take my sister out, he had to go in and meet my father and they'd sit down and, and uh, talk. And my mom was part of that discussion too. So my mom and dad would sit down with the young man. Now I saw several young men come and go in different ways. Like one guy came in, he, he, true story, he came in with a Porsche. He was like just out of high school, driving this nice Porsche. And, uh, and, he, and, and, and th this guy wanted to go out with my sister, Tammy. And so Jenny and I, we were watching from upstairs out the window. We saw the guy, total clean cut, man, short haircut, which in the eighties, that was unheard of. Like a guy with clean cut hairdo and fancy clothes in his Porsche. And he walked in and sat down with my parents and we're like, yeah, he's gonna go out with my sister tonight uh, on a date. So we're like, well, this is a slam dunk. He's got a Porsche. That's what I was thinking. But after about 20 minutes of talking to my dad, uh, I saw the young man walk with his head down and he walked out and went in his Porsche and, Porsche and left. And we ran out and said, what's going on? And my dad would just say, we didn't really have a piece about him. And Tammy was 
And she was, you know, not happy about the whole situation. Understandably, the Porsche. Um, I remember, uh, oh, a year about, oh, so after that, there was another guy that stumbled into our driveway and he had one of those, I forget, it was like a Datsun B210. Remember those B210s? Ugliest car that ever was made. Some of you guys like them still and you rebuild them and all that, but, um, but yeah, he drove into this, it was an old beat up, you know, bucket of rust, you know, and he comes, you know, grinding in and he steps out and, and he's got hair down to his waist. He just kind of struts in wearing some kind of raggedy clothes. And, and uh, Tammy and I are watching this time because this is Jenny's date, my sister, Jenny. And, um, and Tammy and I are watching from the window and we're like, oh, no way. And Tammy and I, we did, we, I'm not kidding. We, we said, is he stoned? I think he's wasted. I think he's high. That's what we thought, I'm not kidding. And he comes walking in and then, you know, and about 10 minutes later, Jenny and this guy walks out hand in hand and he gets her in, you know, opens the door for her in his old jalopy uh, B210 and they drive off and Tammy's like, what? What happened? That guy's my brother-in-law now, Corey Graper. <laughs> Truly, truly one of the greatest guys I know. I mean, I mean, it, it really is hilarious how, like the, one of the best guys I know. And, um, and, and Corey's been a huge blessing to our family. And he probably was high at the time. It's really a funny thing. <laughs> I don't know, maybe he was, maybe he wasn't, I'm not sure. Um, but he got saved. Uh, and don't, don't say I'm condoning missionary dating. I'm not saying that. Um, but, I, but I do know that um, when, we, when Tammy and I ran down the stairs, dad, what's going on? He said. I had a piece about that guy. And we're like, no way. <laughs> I didn't tell you this. The first guy ended up in prison. Yeah, he ended up in prison. Corey ended up being one of the greatest uh, guys I could ever imagine. Like, like, it's amazing when you let the Lord lead and guide. But what I'm saying is parents, you know, fathers, father really knows best. There's something to that. Father knows best, especially when you're talking about the father, which is in heaven, Right? Um, so Jonah's get this thing, I gotta go to Nineveh and talk to these crazy violent people. And, but father knows best and he knows what he's doing. And man, it, it's better to obey the Lord than to whine and whimper or you know, like God forbid you run like Jonah ran. But the Lord, he's merciful and gracious and he knows what's good for you. Now, by the way, uh, this, kinda, this, this chapter three sort of reminds me of two things, God's sovereignty but also human responsibility. You know, we see this in, in this um, sort of, um, you know, chapter, I guess, with both. God sovereignly is working everything out, but also notice with me there in chapter three, it says, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. That was his human responsibility. The first time he didn't do it in chapter one. This time he finally does it. So it's his human responsibility, but we also see God's sovereignty. He's getting the people ready for Nineveh. He's gonna make Jonah end up going there, whether he likes it or not. Um, you'll see what I mean as we get going. We see both here, human responsibility, but also God's sovereignty in this single chapter. Uh, but anyway, I digress. His message was, as he'd cry out there, um, he'd say, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Man, I, I think that's a um, powerful uh, message. So. It says there in, uh, um, in verse five, so the people of Nineveh believed God. Let's just stop right there, what? Boy, wouldn't that be great if, if that, that little, I, I would take those words right there for the sermons I'm preaching about God. Wouldn't that be great if just everybody, every Sunday just, oh, we believe God. 
It doesn't even say, I'm thankful they believed in God, because even Satan believes in God. Isn't that correct? Does Satan believe in God? Yes, but does Satan believe God? No, Um, there's a difference. And this whole city repents. This is the greatest evangelistic thing that ever happened. Um, Maybe in the whole world, even the day of Pentecost when the church was first formed, you know, it says 3000 people were saved on that day. That was a glorious uh, moment in Bible history. But here, the whole city, now there's debate, by the way, of how many people were in Nineveh. Some people say 120,000. I'll show you why in a, in a little bit. Some people say up to 600,000 in the greater you know, Nineveh area, um, which would be a lot of people. But uh, whatever group we're talking about here, it says the people believed. That's pretty cool. Um, I wonder you know, if, if jo- what, like, you know, we, we can wonder about Jonah. And, and there's some things I want you to remember about Jonah. Um, as, as God's authoring his life. Um, and, and before we get to the salvation of all these Ninevites, um, don't forget these three things you should know about what God, and especially if you're going through hard times right now. Remember, number one, God loves you. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Don't forget that, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And then that brings us to the second thing. Don't forget, God doesn't want anyone to perish. Remember 1 Peter 3, 9 talks about the Lord. Oh, I would that none should perish but that everyone would come to repentance. And then thirdly, that he knows the, that the promise of salvation is for everyone. Um, and and um, it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, Acts chapter two, verse 21. I love the whosoever's in the Bible. Um, you know, whosoever believeth on me will not perish, but have everlasting life. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, the Bible teaches. Um, so these are the things we need to know about Jonah, but also about these people. God is merciful. And God loves people and he doesn't want anyone to perish, including these Ninevites. This is, these are the things you should remember about humanity, especially when you and I as Christians are thinking about or talking to the world today. We're gonna see a guy here, Jonah, who could care less about Ninevites. That's gonna be the sad part of this story. And I worry that there's a lot of Jonah-esque people um, who could care less about people today. Um, And we're seeing the love of many grow cold as the Bible says the last days would bring uh, with it. Um, um, There's people that even Christians uh, that are running around uh, saying, well, I'm glad I'm saved. They wouldn't say it like this, but I'm gonna say it crudely. I'm glad I'm saved and I could care less about those people that are A, vaccinated or B, unvaccinated you know, or A, masked, or B, unmasked. It's like, we've got these funny little things that divide us on, on stuff and, well, they're just the other side, we hate them and we don't care about them. We're actually seeing that literally carried out in some hospitals where if, if you didn't get the vaccine, you could go to the hospital with something else and they won't give you care because you didn't get the vaccine. So you're gonna die, sorry, you don't get the heart transplant. Like that's actually happening. Um, and it's just because you're on the wrong side of the politics of the whole thing. Um, I'm so thankful that the Lord loves us. God doesn't want anyone to perish. And he knows that um, he's made that promise. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Um, So the simplicity of Jonah's message, man, 40 days and you're going down. By the way, 40 days, 40 in the Bible, remember numbers have great meaning. Um, Does anybody wanna take a stab? What's the number 40 a symbol of in the Bible? Yes, you've ever said it over here, judgment. Um, and there's, there's several things, by the way, uh, about that. 
that um, we, we see, um, remember the number of judgment, Israel wandered for 40 years. Uh, and that was the, before that generation would die off. And that was a judgment upon the people of Israel. Um, it rained 40 days and 40 nights uh, during the uh, you know, flood of the earth. And Noah was on the ark for over a year, but it rained for 40 days and 40 nights to cause the flood. Remember Jesus would take it out and then was tested for 40 days. Um, like it, it's, a, it's a number that's always associated in the Bible with judgment. Um, and that's what Jonah declares on the people of Nineveh, 40 days and this city will be overthrown. Um, and uh, that's all he had to say. And so it says they believed God, which basically tells us this is a genuine conversion. Um, and we're gonna see evidence of genuine conversion. Um, but um, but I, I just think, I love the simplicity. Jonah preached eight words and they believed God, the end. It's like an amazing, simple plan that God carries out here. But let's read on, verse five. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne and he laid his robe from him and he covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Um, interesting, you know, um, this, the, the idea of fasting and sackcloth of ashes, that's historically in the Middle East, mourning and grieving. These guys were repenting, yes, but there was a mourning and a grieving saying, man, why have we done these things? There's true repentance here. Um, I think that's kind of an important uh, thing to see here. Notice, notice, you know, number one, the simplicity of Jonah's sermon. I think that's so cool, just a simple, simple sermon. But also notice the reality of Jonah's message. The reality, what, what gave Jonah the authority? Well, I think first of all, God told him to do it, so he's obedient. And I believe the Lord just by the spirit gave Jonah authority, but I almost wonder if maybe his experience gave him a little authority too. I mean, here comes this guy. Remember we talked about Jonah and the results of being in the gastric juices of a fish for three days and three nights with seaweed wrapped around his head? Um, did he have time to take a shower? Did he just walk into Nineveh and be like, oh, we're gonna repent, whoo, you stink. But man, whatever you say, just as long as you leave us, we'll repent. I don't know, but there was a reality in Jonah's message somehow and maybe his own experience of being in the, in the fish and the storm and being barfed Maybe that, there was a reality to what, hey, I know about judgment. I know about what I'm saying. And he just said it maybe with some kind of authority. Listen, the reason I say that is the reality of Jonah's message was that God was gonna do what he was gonna do. And Jonah was simply the one speaking it. If you are declaring truth, make sure you're speaking what the Bible actually says. So many people are so quick to give advice. And you know, we all think we have wonderful advice for everyone. So wonderful is our advice that maybe you don't even really listen to what the person's talking about. You're just kind of listening warm, 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 and you're like, oh, I can't wait to give my advice because I have amazing, fantastic advice. Um, but you know, it's, it's like, you know, it really doesn't matter. There's no authority uh, except the Lord really. And Jonah's speaking the word of the Lord. If you want to be on good ground, speak the word of God. That's always a good thing. Um, but, but here, you know, um, I see uh, the simplicity of the message, but the reality of, of Jonah's message. Those two things were here. And then the, the, one of the greatest evangelistic crusades that ever happened, happened. All of this town believes. I love that. Um, now it says um, in verse seven, um, you know, the king, verse seven, he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles saying, let neither man nor beast herd nor flock, taste anything. 
Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? Um, so this is their prayer. Oh, we, who can say if, if what Jonah's, because Jonah didn't, did you leave? He, did you notice he didn't leave any wiggle room? And Jonah says, 40 days, you guys are toast. That's all he said. So there was no hope really of salvation from Jonah. Jonah didn't say, 40 days, you're going down. Unless you all repent, wear sackcloth and ashes, then, then the Lord will relent. No, um, he just says, you're going down. And so the king and all the people are, are very seriously uh, repenting and sorrowful for their sins. Um, that's, that's a sign of repentance, I, I suppose, right here. Um, now, notice the word repent. I've got to say it again because some people get really hung up on this word. The King James Old English, they always use the word repent. Most of your newer translations say relent because there's a difference. God doesn't repent or change his direction or mind just uh, accidentally. Um, God is intentionally uh, going one way and then he turns and goes another um, and that's what they're hoping for, is that the Lord will turn his fierce anger away from them, that they die not. Verse 10, and God saw their works that they turned from their evil, uh, their evil way, and God repented or relented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them, and he did it not. What an amazing, amazing thing. Um, they deserve death, these Ninevites but because they were one prayer away of fasting and prayer, just saying, Lord, we're, we're sorry and ask us for forgiveness. Um, what a large scale repentance. Minimally 120,000 people could be closer to 600,000, depending on how you do the math on these ancient, this ancient city of Nineveh. Um, but it's an amazing thing. By the way, I, I think it's so funny. Who's the most successful prophet in the Old Testament? You have to give it to Jonah. It's amazing when you give out awards for, for the prophets. If we had an award ceremony tonight, um, I, I'd have to say, okay, uh, but wait till you see the rest of the story. Uh, I think Jonah's kind of the biggest loser prophet in the Old Testament, even though he gets the most successful prophet award. Um, by the way, who would get the most unsuccessful award? Jeremiah. 42 years of just heartfelt preaching and not one person listened to him in 42 years. Jonah says, whatever, you're all gonna die. And then the whole city turns, right? Like, I wonder if Jeremiah's just up in heaven going, <laughs> stupid Jonah. Um, now, so Jonah gets most successful, Jeremiah gets least successful. Um, but what I love about this um, is Jeremiah the prophet is the most quoted prophet of the Old Testament by Jesus himself. Don't you love that? It's like Jesus said, I like my bro, that Je Jeremiah, he was, he's my man. And he quotes him over and over and over again, as Jeremiah the prophet said. You know, Jesus would say that because Jeremiah was giving the word of the Lord, just nobody listened. But um, we have to be careful how we measure our success. Uh, the world has a way of measuring and oftentimes quantity is, is often the measurement. But let's see how God shows Jonah uh, going down in this story. How, how does the story end? Well, this is where we get to chapter four. Um, let's read verse one. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceeding, exceedingly and he was very angry. Now, is this what Billy Graham would have done if you know, all of Portland would have repented? I'm really mad that the Lord saved Portland. Um, what's going on with Jonah? Well, check it out. 
It says, verse two, and he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and relented or repented thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Wow. Jonah, he's, he's mad that this whole city gets saved. So much, this is why I think Jonah, he, he, he was kind of suicidal, the whole, this whole story. He wants to die in the ship, yeah, just throw me overboard, uh, you know, not turn the boat around, let's go back, just throw me overboard. Um, that was his word, he was, he was ready to die because he was so not into what God was wanting to do through him. Um, and here he's like, Lord, just kill me now. Because you, you um, it seems to me like Jonah's a little bit bummed that his words didn't come to pass. Well, Jonah said, you're going down in 40 days, you're gonna, be, you're gonna be annihilated. And God doesn't do this. And it sort of makes Jonah look like maybe he, Jonah's worried about how he looks in the whole thing. They're gonna think I didn't know what I was talking about. But as it turns out, the whole city repents. He should be leaping for joy. He should be activating himself into discipleship mode. He should be walking around the city saying, um, now here's what it means to be a believer in God. And if you wanna follow God, here's the word of God. Like he had work to do here, um, but he's saying, I'd rather die. Lord, kill me now. Uh, what a, what a, it's almost like he said, I knew it, the Lord was gonna be merciful. Um, I wonder if you and I have this, uh, where we're more concerned about our reputation than actually truth or we're more concerned about people getting what they deserve than we care about love and grace and mercy and kindness. Um, you know, wh what are you angry about? You know, when God is merciful and gracious to people, we'll put their sinners, they deserve to be judged. Yeah, um, you know, when, when you find yourself saying, I can't wait till God returns and justice will be brought out in this world. Some of us have this sanctimonious idea that God and his justice is gonna come and people are gonna get what they deserve. You know what I always kind of have to remind myself is boy, I sure hope that doesn't happen. Because justice would mean me burning in hell for all eternity. That's what is just. I don't want justice, I want God's grace and mercy. Um, not just on me, but on the whole world, that's, that's my heart. And as it turns out, that's what God says he wants to do. I want everyone to repent and be saved. That's not gonna happen, but man, the Lord is patient, long suffering. And it's amazing. Um, sometimes I wonder, you know, um, if there's gonna be a bunch of people in heaven that you're gonna see there and you're gonna, what? How did you get here? You know, I smell smoke, but you're here. Yep, that's God's grace. Um, it does, does it do us well to be angry? Well, let's keep reading. It says there in verse four, the Lord, then said the Lord, doest thou well to be angry? I love the Lord's patience. If I were the Lord, I'd, I'd, I think I'd just smite Jonah dead. That's what he asked for. <laughs> oh, you wanna be dead? Okay, <laughs> just a little bug on a windshield. Um, that's all God would have had to do. But, but um, the Lord is just so patient. And to say this, it's almost, if I were Jonah, I'd probably scream after this. The Lord saying, doest thou well to be angry? Like, like this just, would this just make you more angry? I don't know, I, I'd probably get more angry. Maybe not if it was the Lord, but whew, I don't know. I, I think we should bring this phrase back, even the King James Version. Doest thou well to be angry? 
there you are driving into the 10 o'clock service, your family, and there's people piled everywhere, cars parking in the planter boxes. And <laughs> have you guys seen that? People are like planting anywhere they can. Uh, um, and you're driving in and, and, and you're getting irritated. I can't believe it. And, and, and wouldn't it be great, wife, if you just said to your husband, doest thou well to be angry? Uh, maybe I wouldn't recommend that. Maybe that's not the best part. But that's kind of what the Lord's doing here to Jonah. Is it really a good plan for you? Are you doing a good thing here by being angry? Um, Jonah's, he, he's, he, he wants to see these people destroyed. And it's almost like he wants to hope that it's still coming. Check it out, verse five. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and there made him a booth or a, like a lean-to sort of shelter. And he sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. So he's just sitting there going, well, let's see what happens. It's almost like he's hoping, come on, Lord, just send a little fire and brimstone. Come on, just a little. Um, and, and it's sad because he's wanting to watch destruction. He was hoping for a blasting rather than a blessing on these people. So it says in verse six, now this is where it gets a little strange. Check it out, verse six. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad for the gourd, huh? Um, what's going on here uh, with this, you know, this gourd uh, that grows up over his head? Well, first, um, first time we, we see Jonah glad in the story. The first time we see him glad is with his gourd. He's glad about his gourd. So we gotta kinda say, well, what is the Lord preparing? The Lord prepared a fish, you know, in chapter two or chapter one at the end in chapter two, but now he prepares a gourd. The Hebrew word is kikoyon. Uh, it's a Hebrew word for a cast. It's like a, a, a fast growing castor bean plant. Um, and they grow really fast. You know how sunflower seeds grow really fast? Um, in the same way, you know, this castor bean plant in the Middle East can grow like 12 feet in a very short amount of time with huge leaves, you know, these big leaves. And, um, and the Lord, um, it, it, it says here, God sends a gourd to come up over Jonah that it might somehow deliver him from his grief. He's just really bummed out that the Ninevites are gonna not be destroyed. So the Lord says, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give you something to give you a little peace. Or, so maybe he's into plants or something. Um, some people say it was, it was providing shade over his head. Maybe, but he built a lean-to already and he was sitting in the shade of the lean-to. But, um, you know, it's funny how the Lord, you know, shows compassion on Jonah and, and this little gourd grows up to be a big gourd and he's like, oh, I like my little gourd. Um, I wonder how many of us have things the Lord's blessed us with. And the Lord's like, well, you're just such an angry little person. I wanted to give you something to sort of take your mind off of it for 10 seconds. What is it that the Lord has given you that's a little blessing just to give you a little relief? But be careful, the Lord giveth and the Lord also what? Check it out, let's read on. It says, but verse seven, but God prepared a worm. When the morning rose the next day, it smote the gourd that it withered. Uh oh, um, a worm. Now mark the word worm there. For you Bible students, it's an important type of worm that's used here. The Hebrew word toleth. Um, it's a tolith worm. If you know what that is, that's, you know, um, it's kind of an amazing thing in the Bible. We really don't have time um, to cover it. But Psalm 22, six talks, it's a messianic Psalm about Jesus uh, going to the cross. But it, it says, I am a worm, the word tolith. But the word tolith is a kind of worm, this, this worm attaches, the mother worm attaches itself to a branch on a tree. 
And then this little worm uh, gets pregnant, if you would, and has little baby worms. But the baby worms sort of grow inside the mother and the mother becomes sort of this cocoon attached to this tree, sort of like a butterfly cocoon, but this cocoon is attached to the tree. Well, the, the baby worms, the way they survive is they eat the mother. They eat the body of the mother and then they break out of the little chrysalis cocoon thing and the little baby worms go out, the little toliths go out. Well, it's interesting because when the, the baby worms escape, it leaves a bright red spot on the tree. And then um, after a few days, that bright red spot turns as white as snow and it starts to become flaky. And after a little wind and a little weather, the white flaky piece where the chrysalis was attached becomes freed and it falls like snow to the ground. And during certain times of the year, all those tolith flakes come down and people say it looks like it's snowing outside. It's an amazing picture really, um, as Jesus hung on the cross and we were to eat of his body and drink of his blood and communion and that Jesus gave his life that we might have life and you know the blood of the stain, but your sins be as scarlet, they'll be white. It's like there's this amazing correlation, but it's interesting that God prepares a tolith worm. That's a specific word in the Hebrew, tolith, that's being talked about here. And the Lord's using that to take away his little gourd that made him happy. What's the Lord doing? It's the same thing he did with the preparing of a fish. He's trying to mature Jonah. He's trying to get Jonah to get where he needs to be mentally, spiritually, maturity wise. And so he prepares a, a fish, number one. Uh, you might even say God prepared a storm uh, in, in chapter one, um, there in, in, uh, in verse four of chapter one. So you got God preparing a, a storm. He's got a, God preparing a, a fish. God prepares a gourd in, in verse six there, but God also prepares a worm. Isn't it interesting, all the things God's preparing for Jonah. By the way, on this, the Lord gives and the Lord's taking away, it comes from Job. Job knew about this, didn't he? If you know the story of Job, he says, um, naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job's a guy who recognized the Lord gives and he takes away. And we need to be good with that because God knows what's good for us. So the Lord prepares a worm um, and, and now Jonah's losing his gourd and that's a bummer. <laughs> but the Lord's not done preparing stuff for Jonah. What else, what else does he prepare? We'll check it out. Verse eight, and God, it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah. Uh, so the wind, the, the gourd is withered. He's sitting out in the sun. The sun beats on his head and he faints and wished himself to die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. What an emotional wreck Jonah was, man. Up and down and first he's happy. Oh, we got a gourd. Oh, the gourd died. Oh, the sun, I'm gonna die. <laughs> faints, I'm gonna die. Um, this guy is really in bad shape. And verse nine, God said to Jonah, doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? Oh, if he wasn't angry then, I think he's probably now. And this is funny. And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. Then said the Lord, thou hast had pity on the gourd for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city wherein are more than six score thousand, or that's 120,000 persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? The Lord's saying, 
you care more about this little weed that grew up, grew up overnight, this gourd, and you got all attached to it and you loved it and then it died in just one night and you have this care for it. Now you wanna die and, 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 and the Lord's sort of trying to work into Jonah, his illogical thinking. Don't you, don't you see, I care more about these people, 120,000 people that are saved now because of you, you know, sharing the message. I care more about these people and you care more about this gourd. Who cares about the gourd? It's just a, a plant that came and went overnight and was eaten by a worm. Jonah is angry because the Ninevites didn't get what he thought they deserved. I wonder if you and I have the heart that's a little bit Jonah-esque when we see our enemies or people that we don't like or people that irritate us or the people on the other side of the political spectrum. When God's saying, you care more about not wearing a mask or wearing a mask. You care more about a vaccine or no vaccine or truckers or no truckers or like, like I'm not trying to make a political statement either way. I'm just saying people care passionately about things, but they could care less that people are going to hell. That people are gonna be destroyed for all eternity burning in hell. Um, it's, it's a perspective that we, we get all into our myopic little microcosm where we kind of say, well, this is what really matters to me. And could, could it be that we care more about gourds than we care about people? That's where Jonah was at. And the Lord's saying, you gotta grow up, Jonah, time to mature. So the Lord sends a wind, sends a worm, sends a gourd, sends a fish, sends a storm, and it's all part of this process. And we don't ever get, you, you say, Brett, what's, where's the rest of Jonah? How did it turn out? And the answer, we don't know. And I think the Lord did that on purpose because we asked that question about you and me. How does it turn out for us? Are we ready to love people the way God wants us to love them and care enough about them to talk about salvation and preach even a simple message? Um, I'm reminded in Mark chapter five, why don't you keep your finger here? We're almost done, but Mark chapter five, there's a similar story. It's in Mark five where there was a, a, a person that was of the Gadarenes. Do you remember the people of Gad? They were the Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh. They settled on the east side of the Jordan River. Remember those guys? And that was not a good place for them to be. There was Jews that never really entered in the promised land. Well, fast forward, you know, a couple thousand years and you get to these Gadarene people, the Gadites, um, and they were living on that side, Jewish people, and guess what they were doing? They were pig farmers. Does that sound like a good Jewish thing to do? That's what happens when you separate yourself from God's people. You, you still think you're God's people, but you're doing stuff that's looking a lot more like the world than God. You know, so these people are pig farmers and they're all, everything's great except they got this one problem, a lunatic, crazy young man who's demon possessed. And so what they do is they chain him up and they put him outside of the town and make him live among the tombs of the dead, this poor guy. And uh, you know, he's a guy that's been a problem for them, lighting houses on fire and doing horrible things like that. And so he's, they just chained him up, bound him up, put him up in the tombs and that's, that was the end of it for them. Meanwhile, they were just happy pig farmers eating their bacon and all that stuff. Nothing wrong with that, in my opinion. But this is where we pick it up in Mark chapter five. Um, you know, it says, you know, that Jesus came to this man of the tombs and he cast out the demon. And suddenly this guy is no longer freaking out and breaking chains and doing all this crazy demonically possessed stuff. He's like normal and he's just sitting there and clothed with normal clothes. He's not running around naked, shrieking with craziness. 
And suddenly the townspeople hear, uh-oh, the man of the tomb, somebody healed this guy. And the message you know, came, came out that this guy was healed. Well, check out what it says um, in verse 14 of chapter five. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that had been done. And they came to Jesus and saw him um, that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. That's always a worldly response, by the way. When you see someone who's a drug addict and who's someone who, you know, there's kind of this fearful, like, oh, well, I don't think it's gonna stick or they're not really saved or they're just good for a few minutes. Or like, we, we always have this negative response sometimes to God doing a miracle in someone's life. So they, they're all afraid. And it says in verse 16, and they that saw it told them how it befell him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. Remember what Jesus did? He said, you know, who are you? And he says, we're legion, we're many. And they said, you know, and he's gonna cast them out of this person. But instead of just casting them out into, you know, uh, out of nothing, they said, let us go into the swine. And so Jesus said, okay. And they go into the swine and all the swine run off a cliff and die in the, in the uh, Sea of Galilee there. It's kind of a crazy story. So um, they, they, they were um, realizing their pigs were gone. And it says, verse 16, they that saw it told them how it befell them that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. Verse 17, and they began to pray him or ask Jesus to depart out of the coasts. And when he was come into the ship, he had been possessed with the devil, prayed him that he might be with him. Um, how be it Jesus suffered him not and said unto him, go home to thy friends and then tell them the great things the Lord hath done for thee and had compassion on thee. And then Jesus departed into the Decapolis region. So um, what an amazing story. The people of the Jews, the Gadarenes, instead of them saying, sweet, we've got a guy here who can cast out demons. And look at this guy, the son of the Gadarenes, this young man who was tormented by all these demons. Look, he's healed. A miracle, wonderful. That, that wasn't their response. It was like, ah, this is weird. We don't know what to do with this guy now that he's clothed and in his right mind. And they said, man, you made our pigs go into the ocean or the sea, so get out of our town. Get out of these parts. That's what he's basically asked to do. And one of the things we learn about the Gadarene people is they cared more about their pigs than they cared about people. They cared more about pigs than they cared about people. That this one guy had been healed. They should have been happy for this man. They should have been convicted knowing that they shouldn't have been doing pig farming as Jews keeping the law. But I wonder if, you know, the pigs and the Jews, they, they just, sometimes we wanna just stick with our sin and just do our thing and we can care less about other people. Um, do we care more about politics than we care about people? Do we care about you know, our masks more than we care about mankind? Um, it's amazing how things become important to us. There, there are things that are, like whether it's a gourd or it's a pig or a Wilson volleyball. <laughs> Isn't it funny how little objects can become really important to us? Um, and it's about what you're investing your time and energy and affection. You know, that, that castaway movie, that Wilson volleyball, you, know, you almost feel horrible for this guy when he starts to lose his volleyball. You're like, no, you're feeling as bad as he does. It's just the volleyball. But it's funny how when you invest time and energy, uh, you know, into something, how much you love it. 
And you can start caring for things that really don't matter as much as other things in God's perspective. I love the story of the guy who was in prison, had 30 years in prison. And early in his prison sentence, he found this carpenter ant, a big ant that was walking across. And he, he saved it and put that little ant in a little matchbox. And, and he started to train it over the years, years in prison. And he taught it to do cartwheels and somersaults. And, and this little ant could just, you know, just didn't come in. It was amazing. After 30 years, he got out of prison. And he brought his ant. He said, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make millions off this ant. And he, he thought, I'll start. He goes into his favorite bar and sits it down on the counter and, you know, old Hank behind the counter. He says, oh, this will be great. And he t- takes the ant out and, and he says, hey, Hank, come, you see this? Hank's like, yeah. <laughs> see, I just told you a dumb story about an ant and some of you are like, oh. <laughs> it's not even a true story. <laughs> and some of you are heartbroken. And it took me 10 seconds to set you up for that. It's amazing what we start caring about. (laughs) What makes you excited and happy? Jonah was totally backwards on this. He was happy about a little plant that meant nothing. He was really unhappy that a whole city of people were saved by God's grace through faith. Um, I, I just want us to go away tonight with this notion of the book of Jonah, that this is kind of the main lesson. I mean, it's a great lesson of repentance and, and we learned some stuff about rebellion and all this stuff. But I think the main lesson of the book of Jonah is really that um, we've, we've got to not have the Jonah mindset. We need to actually care about people. That's what God was trying to work into Jonah to actually care. And if you don't care about people, I tell you what, God's gonna be faithful and he'll prepare whatever he needs to prepare for you. A storm, a fish, a worm, a gourd, a wind, whatever he'll do, he'll, he'll, he'll prepare it for you. And slowly but surely, hopefully you'll start to actually care more about people than pigs or gourds or whatever. Uh, we need to be people who care about the, the, you know, the lost, the unsaved. There's so many people today that are lost in this world. You and I, we're on the front lines here in Portland, Oregon, one of the most irreligious places on the planet. That's what they say, those that study these things. You and I live in a place where I think, from what they say, more people are headed for hell than many places on the planet. That's an amazing thing to me. So you and I, we have work to do. Go into all the world, preach the gospel. Well, what if I don't want to? I don't care about those people downtown or these people that are living over here or those people that have that world view. Well, that's very Jonah-esque. God forbid that we have a Jonah mindset. So some words for us to ponder, to think about, and then maybe to change some attitudes in our hearts. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this little book, this amazing story, really. Um, And it's amazing to me that you care about the Ninevites so much that you would save a whole city of Ninevites. Um, That shows us about your amazing grace, your massive mercy, that you would care about these bloodthirsty people of the Ninevite era. But at the same time, it makes us realize um, we have no idea who you wanna see saved um, to that level or that degree, but help us never to get in the way or be hesitant to be obedient, to preach your word and to share the gospel. I pray that we would care more about people in their eternal condition rather than the little things that don't matter. Um, Give us wisdom, Lord. I pray your blessing upon this congregation that our lights would so shine in this dark world. We know this life on earth is temporary, that gourds come and go, but Lord, we know that heaven is coming for us by your grace. 
So may we have that same heart for you as you have for the unsaved, that we might preach the gospel to all that would hear. So bless this study, Lord, and Jonah. Now we just continue through your word and pray that you'd use this time to speak to us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.